Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow us on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow my co-host, the esteemed Mo Nuara, at Mo Nuara on Twitter. That's two W's. And you can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever The Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including the NFL, just like this one. And if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, just remember to subscribe to The Lines Podcast Network and leave us a five-star review if it's on Apple. The schedule for this coming NFL season, a.k.a. starting this week, Mondays and Thursdays typically, but because yesterday, as in Monday the 4th, was Labor Day, we're starting off our week one breakdowns on Tuesday. Thursdays, weekly, we'll have our best bets, and I'll have one bet of my favorite bets of the week for week one coming up later in the show. And... Mondays and Thursdays every week moving forward, like I mentioned. So one other disclaimer, and I know Mo wants to claim me to be the king of disclaimers. No, I didn't say that. My buddy said that he was a regular listener to the baseball show. (laughs) Fair enough. But I do think this is a good disclaimer here. So the point of this Tuesday, now Tuesday, soon to be Monday podcast is to give our listeners and viewers, a sense of where the line may close and whether we're betting a game or not of the four games we're going to discuss today. Some sort of a notion of either side of the line or total that you may be looking at where that particular market may end up. But with that being said, I do think this is an important disclaimer because some podcasts do discuss ticket count, money splits, All that, you can't really say all that good stuff, all that mediocre stuff. That is not something that Mo and I are going to be gravitating our our conversations towards. I have a post, Mo, on Twitter. It's about March Madness going back to this past college basketball season. And John Murray, the director of race and sports over at the Westgate in Vegas, is quoted by saying, at the end of the day, the ticket and money splits are useless. It's just for entertainment value. So that is a bookmaker at a very well-respected property out in Las Vegas that is telling you that. Pretty much all you need to know about money splits, ticket count, where sometimes it's not even reliable, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I find them entertaining. I read them sometimes when I see them. Uh, ESPN reporter David Perdum. Purdom? I don't know how you pronounce his name. Purdom. He's, he's always uh, writing up that stuff, uh, and, and I like reading it um, sometimes. But, yeah, not anything I'd give any credence to or anything. It's just an interesting thing to see sometimes. Right. So even though we're directing our conversation, at least on this episode, and coming Mondays looking towards where the number may end up, where the number may close for the spread and total money line, markets we're not going to be directing the conversation to ticket count all that bs i'm going to try not to swear on the podcast mo is probably going to be clean i would give mo mo's probably a favorite in that market if we're looking ahead to the end of the season or at least if we're looking over under the amount of explicits mo uses on this podcast i have probably my slip go, ups eh, over Sometimes. under one and a half on the season my total is probably looking at three and a half. So you do uh, lead. I, I do lean towards you in that market. But Mo, let's kick it off with Lions at Chiefs. So if we go back to where this line opened up at when the openers came out in mid-May when the schedule was was released, the defending Super Bowl champs, six and a half point home favorites, up to seven as the summer moved along. Now back to six and a half. There are some juiced. Six and a half at that total opened at 53 and a half all the way up to 54 and a half, even as high as 55 as of this afternoon. A couple meaningless trends. We mentioned meaningless splits when it comes to tech account and money bet on a given game. Jared Goff is the most profitable quarterback against the spread in week one over the last 20 years. Keep in mind. 
some of those numbers came with the LA Rams. So not even with the Detroit Lions and an upgraded Lions roster at that. Now, one trend that I do kind of find interesting because the Chiefs number, especially considering how they're valued in the market, the spread can be inflated from time to time. Opponents or dogs of three and a half points or more against Kansas City over the last three seasons, 28 and 15 against the number. So Mo with Chris Jones still on the sideline for Kansas City, still hasn't gotten that contract extension. And you would expect at this point, one of the best defensive tackles in the league isn't going to play. And from a pass rush standpoint, Kansas City over the last five seasons ranked number one in the NFL across the league in quarterback pressure rate, ranked bottom five, bottom four in the NFL in QB pressure rate without Jones over the last half a decade. So you can take that into account for sure. You being a Chiefs fan, not that that has any direction towards your bets for this game, but what do you make of Jones's likely absence and how you're gauging these markets for the opener of the 2023 season overall? I would guess his chances to play are somewhere between zero and 0.5%. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think I would be flabbergasted if, uh, if Chris Jones was out there. Um, Yeah, I think it's a major concern for sure. I I love this Chiefs defense on paper coming into the season. Um, Just how well the secondary played last year and how young they were. I'm still very excited about this secondary and think they could do great things. But I said multiple times this Chiefs defense could be borderline top five, and I thought top ten was a fair expectation for this group. But that's all assuming Chris Jones was back in the fold at some point. A pretty massive hole he's leaving there, not just in the pass rush, but in the middle in general. Um, I think the pass rush could be a little better this year. Uh, No more Frank Clark. He was pretty much a black hole outside of a few very good playoff highlights, I should say, for sure. Um, But, yeah, he was generally pretty bad for the Chiefs. A couple young guys. Karloftis, I, I think he was just okay last year, but you know maybe he takes a step year two, and then you have uh, the first round rookie. Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, Felix something, but he supposedly has some talent and some polish actually too, so should be able to contribute right away. And, and actually, the Chiefs do have a couple of very very good blitzing linebackers added drew tranquil in the offseason he knows how to get after the quarterback leo chanel i think is pretty good at that as well so Chiefs are gonna have to be a little bit more creative and find some different ways to get pressure but i think the defensive front definitely a little bit soft at times in recent years and without jones against a lions offense that was pretty great at running the ball this offensive line is tremendous so that that's a concern for me for sure and looking at some of the other significant losses or not even significant because to your point I do think the Chiefs had some pretty solid replacements when it comes to losing Orlando Brown to the Bengals their left tackle they get Donovan Smith from the Bucks, who the Tampa Bay decided not to pick up his option I believe and assuming Donovan Smith is healthy ish this season missed four games last season for Tampa Bay with a couple injuries. That's a pretty good replacement. My only concern would be, I know you mentioned you think this Kansas City defense could be borderline top five. Safety is a little bit of a concern for me, losing Juan Thornhill to the Browns. Brian Cook, a bit of a question mark. But other than that, I do agree with you that Kansas City secondary is very sound. And it's going to be, and also you think about losing Eric Bieniemy. Offensive coordinator Andy Reid was the play caller for Kansas City for the most part. You bring back Matt Nagy, or at least he gets elevated back to where he was before he left for the Bears, I believe. So this isn't any sort of a concern from a coaching level perspective or personnel, especially at offensive line or at left tackle in particular. And then safety, I mentioned, would be my only bit of an issue But Cook still has some upside there at the second safety spot. Ben Johnson, though, for the Lions, arguably their best and biggest retainment in the offseason. Offensive coordinator was in the conversation loosely to be in the mix for a head coaching position. But 
Secondary-wise for Detroit, that's still my concern, especially with Mosley likely being out. I think he has participated a bit in practice, but reading between the lines, it doesn't seem like he's going to play. Lions got C.J. Gardner-Johnson to upgrade their safety spot a little bit, but still a Detroit secondary without Mosley and without Johnson for that matter, Gardner-Johnson. But Lions still allowed the third most EPA per dropback last season. I'm not super high on this line secondary, or at least to say that they've improved greatly without Mosley. That said, I do have Detroit rated number 12 in my power ratings overall. has a lot to do with the Lions offense, which is kind of what you were alluding to. So looking at the spread, Mo, I, I expect just because of the way you would expect the market to lean, especially closer to game night itself. I think this line closes at seven minus one ten both ways with the liability on chiefs parlays and coupled with late money coming in on Kansas city. So if you like Detroit, I would probably wait until game night. If you can't tell, I'm not going to have a bet on this game. If you like Kansas city, at least as it concerns the spread market, I would probably bet this before Thursday as it's sitting at six and a half minus one ten at most bucks. How are you? How do you expect this market to go, whether it's side or total now? I'm really not sure. Honestly, I might lean a little bit the other way because just because it seems like the Sharps do like Detroit quite a bit, uh, have moved it off seven every time it's got there, I think. So could see it down to six, to be honest, but I could see it the other way too. Hmm. I really don't have a, a strong lean as far as the the spread goes. I, I really couldn't see the total going any higher. I'll say that. Yeah. As I said earlier, it's up to 55 at one book. And remember to price shop over at thelines.com. A bunch of great sign-up promos over there as well, especially if you're in the Bluegrass State, Kentucky. Some pre-launch promos as sports betting is on the way. Retail shops opening their books, I believe, on September 7th. So that's opening out of the NFL season. And online books, online operators, at least a few of them opening up their operations on September 28th, which is, I think, week four, Thursday Night Football, between the Packers and Lions. One particular sports book has a promo for that game. So we move on from Chiefs-Lions, or actually, before we do, I know before we got started, you have a angle for this game when it comes to player props, especially as it relates to pace and tempo. Yeah, I'm not like as high as the market on points in this game, I think. But I do think both offenses should be pretty efficient. But just the way both teams, I expect to move the ball. Like I said, I think Detroit's going to be able to run the ball here. I think the Chiefs can run the ball too, though. Uh, Detroit had the one of the worst run defenses last year. I think they were 27th in EPA per play allowed. I don't see any major additions there. So I also think like the way the Chiefs have typically been defended, like ev- everyone just plays the too high, the the shell against right. them, and let, lets them work underneath, right? So I think there's going to be a lot of first downs, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of like explosive plays here. I definitely don't see the Detroit's pass rush getting to the Chiefs here. So I think we could see a little bit of a slower game in terms of longer drives and maybe look at some reception overs for players you like here. I think if you like their matchup against the opposing defense – either side of the ball. Uh, I don't think their lines are really going to be able to beat the Chiefs downfield, but Amon Ra, like these type of guys, should be able to rack up some catches and first downs here. Remember what I mentioned, that meaningless trend that you'll probably hear all week. Jared Goff, the most profitable quarterback against the spread in week one over the last 20 years. On to the second game, and Mo actually has a take on this one, although... No week but one bets for him just yet. Those will come for sure on Thursday, if not most of them. 49ers at Steelers, one of the better games in the early afternoon slate on Sunday, Mo. San Francisco, when the lines were released in mid-May, opened as a three-point road favorite, the defending NFC West champs. That line dipped down to minus two and a half over the course of the summer. It's back up to, or it was back up to, San Francisco laying a field goal on the road. Now it's back to two and a half at pretty much every buck. So consensus price at most of the legal operators sitting 
San Francisco minus two and a half. Pittsburgh plus two and a half. Steelers around plus money on the money line. Total is down from 42 to 40 and a half. Remember to price shop over at thelines.com. A couple notes for me on this game, though, before I swing it back over to you. I would expect, and I know you're definitely, we're definitely on the same page when it comes to San Francisco's offense, especially when it comes to protection for Brock Purdy, who is going to be starting after getting banged up in the NFC Championship game. So Purdy was the only name among Pro Football Focus's top 16 graded quarterbacks last season. Granted, small sample size, but that kind of swings to my point about there being negative aggression for Purdy. So highest turnover-worthy play rate over big-time throw rate among all of the Pro Football Focus's top 16 graded signal callers last year. And mind you, this is a San Francisco offense that had the second highest EPA from week 13 onward, which is when Purdy essentially took over under center. So that screams negative variance, negative variance, negative variance for me. That's not me saying, and I may have a slight uh, bit of a different take for me on Pittsburgh's offense than me, I should say. I'm not a big Kenny Pickett guy, so I'm not saying back the Steelers outright, but I'm not a Brock Purdy guy by any means. And then for San Francisco's offensive line, Trent Williams, all pro left tackle, granted, but he turns 35 or turned 35 in July, hasn't played in the full season since 2013. The three projected interior offensive linemen for San Francisco, Aaron Banks, John Feliciano, Spencer Burford, failed to grade in the 40th percentile within that percentile at their respective ranks on the interior last season. So not only is Purdy likely headed for regression when it comes to his turnover luck, I would also think that the Steelers should have a lot of success, especially when it comes to getting pressure against San Francisco with TJ Watt being healthy to begin the season. Cam Hayward, Highsmith too. This is... One of the better pass rushing units and top 15, top 16, above average secondary, the Steelers most likely have to begin the season. So I am uh, staying away from this game and I would expect this thing to close below three. But that being said, I do think there are major concerns for San Francisco offensively. What about you? And then you factor in Bosa too, who's likely going to be out. Definitely a factor that we have to hit on. Yeah, I'm definitely low on this Niners bunch. Um, Just looking over this roster, I have no idea why this is really expected to be a Super Bowl contender, to be honest with you. I don't think they have that great of a roster. I think it's degraded some over the last few years, and I've I've spent a lot of money waiting for Brock Purdy regression, let me tell you. So (laughs) I'm with you there, and I'm with you, honestly, on Pickett. Not super high on him either, but... All the reports I'm seeing is he's been playing very well uh, in the preseason and in practice and whatnot. And I don't know, maybe he has more upside than I give him credit for, to be honest. But uh, yeah, a little higher. How much stock do you, and maybe it's not about Pickett, but just in general, when it comes to quarterbacks, because I don't put that much stock into it. And you could say, yes, he's playing against ones, but you're talking about an extremely limited sample size. Like I mentioned with Purdy, that was over a regular season game stretch for people that are pointing to Kenny Pickett. Not that you were alluding to this by any means, but for people that are bringing up Kenny Pickett preseason stats and saying, look at the kind of year that he's going to have. That's a very, very, very small sample size to take into account. If you're trying to carry that over into believing in Kenny Pickett into the regular season, not that there aren't traits that showcase Kenny Pickett could be a good NFL quarterback, but I wouldn't necessarily look back to the preseason as any sort of evidence. How how do you kind of take quarterback play in the preseason relative to expectation? More so, I would say looking for negatives. Uh, I would be more inclined to believe in somebody that's playing poorly than somebody that's playing well, for sure. Um, But I would say you'd have to look at the way Kenny Pickett played down the stretch last year, Steelers covering every week and just say, you know, maybe he was improving more than we give him credit for. Overall, I just think this 49ers D, I, I, this offense, I mean, I think you hit on it big time. Mismatch that I'm seeing is up front 
the Steelers have a really nasty pass rush. I mean, Brock Purdy, I mean, you said he got banged up. That's maybe putting it mildly. He shredded his elbow. <laughs> so who yeah. knows uh, <clears throat> what he's going to look like. And I think when we talk about where this market's going to go, Sharp seem to be loving the Steelers team just from the content I've consumed this offseason. And, you know, on uh, our podcast last week. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. We had Fabian on here. He's loving the Steelers. It seems like a lot of sharp people like the Steelers, and it seems like maybe influential betters are a little bit down on the 49ers. I can definitely see why, and I'm only basing that off of it seems like the Seahawks divisional market got some love. I know you fired on that, so uh, that price definitely came down from where it was. So I'm feeling like maybe influential betters are not too high on the 49ers. I also think the Steelers massively improved their offensive line. That That's going to help here. Um, and I, I think, so another thing is 49ers defense. Like I said, it's not as good on paper, I think. And you got to, they were coached incredibly well in recent years by Sala and D'Amico Ryans. D'Amico yeah. Ryans out the door now. I was so impressed with what he did last year, really just taking over and just the last couple of years and, I don't remember if Salah was gone for two years or one, but they just didn't fall off as much as I thought they were going to after he did a tremendous job coordinating them. So I have to assume D'Amico Ryans was doing some great work as well. Little sneaky thing here that we haven't talked about and I haven't really seen anybody talk about. Total 40 on this game? What if the 49ers just like don't have a kicker? They brought in some guy off the street, something Matthew Wright I saw the other day because uh, they're – they spent like a second or third round pick on a kicker, I think, which is a whole other discussion. But <laughs> yeah, he's like hurt. So I think in a game like that, that could come down to some field goals. That could be big, uh, bringing in some warm body. I mean, it could maybe not matter, but it could matter big time. So uh, especially in a game with a low total, I'm thinking I could see this game closing closer to even money for sure. I wouldn't even stun me if the Steelers were like minus one. So with that in mind, because you definitely are bringing up points towards Pittsburgh, I know you may not fire on Pittsburgh, but since you're, for good reason, alluding to the market, trending towards the Steelers continuing in that direction, are you going to likely fire? If you're going to fire on the Steelers, is it going to be before Thursday, which our listeners and viewers can check out the Discord channel? Is that the direction you're heading in or is this going to be a stay away for you even though you do see map matchup advantages for Pittsburgh yeah I feel like I'll probably be on them but it is kind of a gross number to take obviously so <laughs> I am kind of tempted to see if somehow a three hits but I mean I doubt it but yeah I definitely feel like I should bet Pittsburgh I mean I'm higher than the market on Pittsburgh I think and I'm lower on the 49ers so it just stinks to be taking a two and a half generally if you think there's maybe a chance for a three and traditionally this is a interesting point to bring up too before we get to our third game and my first bet week one wise of the nfl season you think about key numbers and the key number three obviously very very important a lot of games percentage wise to say the least <laughs> yeah land on the key number three but with two point conversions then again you have a very conservative ultra-conservative coach in Mike Tomlin and a guy that doesn't know how to use his timeouts before the half as well. And How about one that a conservative coach in Kyle Shanahan, too? Right. A guy who loves to kick with a bad kicker. I forgot to mention that. He, he probably kicks <laughs> too much. Yeah, so I don't know how much two-point conversions are going to come into play, but just in general, the number two and a half when it comes to the betting market is more important on the surface than it has been at least over the last couple of decades of late with two-point conversions being more of the norm than it, than they were in years past, for sure, over the last couple of decades. So just something to note there when it comes to key numbers and spreads in the NFL betting market. All right, third game on the week one card mode, Bucks at Vikings, another one that kicks off at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Tampa Bay open touchdown underdogs. When I say touchdown, I mean getting seven on the road at Minnesota when the lines were released. It's down to six. It was six and a half early last week. 
I played six on Tampa Bay on Friday. Remember to head over to the lines.com Discord channel. That's free. The link is over in the top right-hand corner. Get notifications when any of our staff members place any bets. Total is also ticked down from 46 to as low as 45. Consensus in the market, probably 45 and a half. One of the big things I want to bring up before I bring up some matchup stuff, just to kind of set the set the uh, expectation for Minnesota and how much they overperformed last year, outperformed expectations. It's truly wild when you dig back into it because Mo was hammering this home every week on beat the closing number last year with Nicole and I too. And I, I think he got the worst of the result, at least before the end of the season got back at Minnesota, especially in the wild card round. But the Vikings won 13 games. First thing first, first things first. Won 13 games with a negative point differential. 11-0 in one score games. And with that in mind, led the league in wins over expected based on point differential and fourth quarter win probabilities. And also exceeded the wins over expected at the highest rate across the NFL over the last 22 years. So this Vikings roster and collectively outright winning the NFC North. And this was a team that just to preface, I backed to win the NFC North at plus money around plus 280, something like that before last season began, not really conceivably having the thought that the Vikings would outperform like this, just expecting Packers regression, which happened, especially with Aaron Rodgers. But I digress. So a lot of things point towards the Vikings regression. I played the Bucks. I want to get to some matchup related metrics here in a sec. But I bring up all those things. Mo, are you leaning towards Bucks here? I know you're not playing the Vikings. That's for sure. Yeah, I like your Bucks play. Um <laughs> I think it's important to note, though, that like as much as you're saying, well, they're going to regress, whatever, this and that, I think that's all already baked in. Like You're seeing a a 7.5 win total here. I mean, nobody expects the Vikings really to be that good. Is it 7.5? I think it's – maybe it's 8.5. It's 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 not high. It's not high. So regression is definitely heavily baked into the, the number here. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Fair point. So looking at a couple other angles that I'm looking at offensively, and I know some may point to Mike Evans. Uh, the Bucks haven't extended him yet. I don't think there's going to be a trade before this game. Maybe Evans would slightly push this number up closer to a touchdown if he was dealt. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. Nevertheless, Baker Mayfield. This surprised me a lot when I was digging into DVOA before Football Outsiders shut down. So small RIP football outsiders <laughs> that goes without saying, but so Baker Mayfield over the last five weeks of the season, when he took over at quarterback, the Rams had a slightly better offensive DVOA than Kirk cousins of the Vikings, which again, I'm just throwing those two things out there. That's not to say that that wasn't in a five-game sample size versus the entire course of the season for the Vikings. But it also shows you how Minnesota outperformed their offensive expectation last year. And then couple that with a healthy Tampa Bay defense. You add Ryan Neal, which I think was one of the more underrated additions to any secondary over this offseason. Had one of the better coverage grades across, again, any safety in the NFL per Pro, uh, pro football focus. And then up front for the Vikings, an average offensive line, maybe slightly above average, but their weak link up front is on the interior with Bradbury and Ingram. So you think with a healthy Vita Vea and the rookie Cansey too, you can't forget him. He's expected to play. I actually think he's an underrated candidate in the defensive rookie of the year market, sitting at 20 to 1 over at Caesar Sportsbook. So. Tampa Bay's defense, I think, is getting wildly underrated, especially when it comes to the market in this game. Now, the total, like I mentioned, has been bet down a little bit, so maybe that takes into account the way the market was initially projecting Tampa Bay's defense to fare in this game. And like I said, I like their secondary a lot, especially with the addition of Neal. So 
I think Tampa Bay matches up very well, and that's without me mentioning the Vikings defense, how it got arguably worse in the offseason. And that was a defense that was getting shredded in zone coverage last year, and they were very, very... It was a good decision to get rid of Ed Donatel, to say the least. But I don't expect a big-time upgrade because of that for Minnesota defensively. I really like Tampa Bay getting six. I would expect the Bucks to close around five, five and a half. How do you expect the market to go about this one over the course of the weekend? Do you think you're going to end up pulling the trigger on Tampa Bay? I, I think probably more likely than not, yeah. Um Tampa Bay is a team that I'm bearish on overall, but it mostly has to do with what I see as a really, really bad match between Baker Mayfield and an offensive line that I think isn't going to be that good. So I don't know if there's a quarterback I'd less want to have behind a bad offensive line than Baker Mayfield. <laughs> At the same time, you know, right now while the roster is intact, no trades of veterans, like you said, no injuries, um, Baker, 100% healthy. I think Tampa Bay, like, isn't the worst ever right now. And I see some issues potentially with this Minnesota defense. It's like you said, they lost some talent. Not only did they lose some talent, but they make a major coordinator change that I think is, like, a huge positive probably. I love Brian Flores and thought he was doing amazing work in Miami. Um, at the same time, I don't know how well he matches up with this roster. He, The way he wants to play defense – is very aggressive. He wants to uh, put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and he's willing to leave his DBs a little bit on an island yeah. here and there. I think with these Minnesota corners, that could go very, very poorly. I don't think they have the type of guys on the outside that Miami had where he was able to uh, kind of let those guys do their own work without a lot of help. I think these DBs are going to need a lot of help, and they're facing off against a couple of good receivers who are healthy right now. So... At the same time, looking at the other side of the ball, I did mention that Tampa Bay offensive line that I'm not excited about. And Minnesota does have a couple of, I don't know if I'd call them premier pass rushers, but they're definitely upper tier. Uh, Marcus Davenport and Daniil Hunter, like those guys are very good. And if they whoop these tackles for Tampa Bay, then I already said Baker Mayfield's like the worst ever under pressure. So... I could see things going south on that that end of the ball, but six points just too many, I think, here. I already see a playing out of me. I could see the light, Mo. Bucks are going for a backdoor cover down seven, let's say. Maybe not seven, let's say ten in the final two minutes. Baker strip sack, Vikings recover, return it for a touchdown. We already see it played out in front of our own eyes. At least I do. But you mentioned the Viking secondary and Patrick Peterson had a major bounce back season. He's now in Pittsburgh. Something to keep in mind there for Niners Steelers, assuming Peterson can kind of play up to that level that he did in a rebound year last year, this Minnesota secondary, man, if you're leaving these corners on an Island with Blackman third round rookie out of USC Evans fourth round second year man out of, Missouri, at the safety level, Cameron Bynum and Harrison Smith, who coverage grade was above average for sure last I season. Think, but yeah. I think Harrison Smith might be washed, man. He was I did not think he was good in the games I watched last year. Yeah, especially when it comes to against the run. He was better in coverage. But yeah, I, I am not bullish on this Viking secondary. Whether you're leaving them on a, on an island or you're playing zone coverage where you're getting spliced up over the middle like we saw game over game, especially against the Giants in that wild card round. Last game serving the biggest example when Minnesota lost on a Kirk Cousins check down on fourth and eight. <laughs> With, and again, that's just another example of the Vikings. Got to keep and, that completion percentage up. Exactly. The numbers will tell you Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback. Great quarterback, according to the numbers. Great quarterback. And maybe a borderline MVP candidate. Just kidding. Okay, so I bet Bucks plus six already looking for a backdoor cover for the Vikings and me bitching on Twitter. There goes swear we're number one of the podcast. Again, my total 
over under is sitting at three and a half on the season. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sports books all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Okay, last game I want to hit on, Mo, Packers at Bears. This one coming in the late afternoon slate. We'll have many more games to discuss, many more bets on the Thursday edition of the Beat the Closing Number podcast. Remember to subscribe on YouTube, Apple, if you want to just listen on the audio version, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. So the Bears opened as two and a half point favorites when these markets were released. Like I mentioned, when the schedules came out in mid-May. Now, this is sitting at Chicago minus one. So dead number at pretty much every buck. FanDuel has Packers plus one and a half. Bears minus one and a half. But it is juiced towards Green Bay at minus 118. Total is has dipped, shortened a little bit. Kind of like these other games that we discussed besides Thursday Night Football. Season opener between the Lions and Chiefs. 43 and a half, 43 is the consensus after opening 44 and a half. One trend that I do, again, in the right context because of familiarity is important to mention here. And again, you could kind of splice it up with the way the market is pricing games for sure. I'm not saying bet based off of this by any means, but in the right context, it can be valuable like any trend. Divisional underdogs have gone 62, 38 and two against the spread in week one since 05, four and two against the number last season. So wouldn't shock me if the Packers closed kind of like you mentioned with Pittsburgh, although I kind of see this one going more so in that direction. Could definitely see Green Bay closing as a short favorite minus one minus two. And mind you, when it, when I mentioned divisional dogs, the Vikings were, I think this is the perfect example, although Minnesota closed as a favorite week one last year. But people are bringing this up going into the week one game between the Vikings and the Packers. I bet Minnesota at two and a half. Vikings closed as a two and a half point favorite. So that line flipped five points as a whole. And you can't really use the divisional underdog trend anymore in that direction. It would apply to Green Bay. But for much of the week, it it applied to Minnesota. And the Vikings blew out Green Bay in that game. So just something to keep in mind. But how are you looking at Bears-Packers, Mo? I know we... We're in agreement when it came to our power ratings over at thelines.com and we filled those in earlier this morning. I'm a bit I'm a bit higher on the Packers, I think, than the market, and I'm a lot lower on the Bears, as we discussed in our pod with uh, Suma. So <clears throat> I, I kind of think Packers should be favored, to be honest. But like you said, we're talking about dead numbers either way. So not a spot I'm, like, super excited to bet the Packers. Um I think it's important to reiterate, like I was saying on that pod, and like I wrote on the lines.com, the Bears D basically turned everyone into the Bills passing offense last year. That is a tough thing to make a jump into competence from. I don't know if adding Tremaine Edmonds is going to change that materially. So <clears throat> I would have liked to see the Packers make some changes at defensive coordinator, but they didn't. Um, so I am not sure how their defense is going to perform, even though they still have quite a bit of talent. I think the Packers' offensive line should dominate the Bears, though. I think this defense still stinks. I kind of like the over, man. I kind of like over 43. I think I'm probably going to bet that. I don't have the best history with totals. Speaking of disclaimers, I should throw that out there. (laughs) But I just think, in general, the Bears are going to be in a lot of high-scoring games this year. Justin Fields can put up some points as long as he's not turning the ball over, which for the over would probably give the Packers some points. So that's that's the plus side there. Um, and I don't trust the Packers' defensive coordinator whatsoever, like I was saying. Uh, I was surprised yeah. that they retained him. 
I thought he did a very poor job last year. They had a defense that was on paper one of the top 10 for sure in terms of talent, and they did not come close to performing like that. So, yeah, I just think 43 might be too low. I know we have two very questionable quarterbacks, but like I said, maybe if they make some really bad plays, that just ends up being points for the other team anyway. A couple things to note for me in this game. I don't think I'm going to be betting it, although I do have the Packers slightly ahead of the Bears, at least juxtaposed to the market a little bit, kind of to the point that you were saying. Packers have an above-average secondary. Stokes being on the PUP list certainly doesn't help. Losing Jaron Reed up front, not a big loss, but just keep in mind that the Packers allowed the second-most EPA expected points added per carry last season, and the Bears are going to run, run, run the football. I, I know... Some naysayers towards the argument that we're trying to make on paper will argue Justin Fields could make the leap. I've seen some MVP arguments out there. Not that I'm a fan of 538. No, I would probably would say about the other side of 538 much of the time, that model for any sport. But when it comes to quarterback ELO, I found this interesting, a metric that they have out there over at 538 because the comparison will it's tossed around. It was tossed around a lot in the off season. Can Justin Fields make the leap that we saw Josh Allen make? And our guest Suma mentioned that on the podcast. Not that he was arguing for fields to make the leap. I also want to make that clear. Lamar Jackson, quite the opposite. In fact, <laughs> right. Quite the opposite. Jalen hurts has also been brought up. Justin Fields, his adjusted career ELO, I think that's how you pronounce the metric at least, is, I mean, granted fewer games than those guys, but if you want to at least compare it to Hertz, because similar amount of games to Hertz at this point in his career, at least in comparison to where Fields is at right now, I should say. Fields is way, way below Hertz when it comes to this metric. So, for anyone to come with an argument that has anything to do with Justin Fields in the same sentence as Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, or Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts should probably be a negative, not any sort of positive, especially if you're arguing for Justin Fields to win MVP. Now, the matchup, like I mentioned, that I'm concerned about is the Packers' defensive front. Not super bullish on the Bears' offensive line, but... Considering how the Packers and Joe Barry in years past have, have graded against the run, that's a bit of an issue for this game, but I'm going to be staying away from it, and my numbers do lean towards Green Bay. Yeah, I, I think so. I should say, we should say, Justin Fields is much more talented than some of these guys. Maybe not like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, but he's not too far from them probably. And he's been in a horrific situation. And I'm just talking pure talent here. The man has, he might be the most dynamic runner we've ever seen at quarterback. Similar to Lamar. I think peak Lamar was doing, he's the only other player I've seen really that was doing the type of things Justin Fields did on the ground last year. And, and the man has a much bigger arm than the likes of Jalen hurts. Right. So if he's coached up and makes a leap with far better surroundings, would I be surprised? No. I, in fact, I was a big believer in fields coming out of the draft. So I'm still kind of hopeful as a fan of him, but what we've seen so far hasn't been good. So to wrap it up, any, any potential plays on this game? I know you mentioned the over. At How 43. about if we wrap it up? By going back to the Chiefs. <laughs> okay. What are your thoughts on the news that just happened? Multiple people texting me. And now I'm seeing it everywhere. Travis Kelsey may not play. Hyperextended knee in practice. I do see that. Any sort of impact on the market as we wrap up the pie. So there are now Detroit sixes popping, which I would think this has to affect the market. I mean, you're talking about a team where 
this is like the Cooper Cup situation with the Rams. I mean, not as bad. Like, the Chiefs have more decent, warm-body professionals than the Rams have, but one guy taking up this much of the passing, pass-catching volume, and yeah, I, I mean, this is, dude, Mahomes is going to have his work cut out for him. I know that the Lions, I'm with you that the secondary is questionable, especially with Mosley. I'm not expecting much from him, especially early on, even yeah. though he was solid. But, like, when you're coming off an injury like that, I just – it's tough, right? And, I, man, I, the Chiefs are not going to have a lot of good weapons out there. Tony is expected to play, assuming that statement that we saw from Andy Reid yesterday, as in Monday, comes to fruition. But could be on a limited stamp count. Has seen a lot of targets in a lower snap count during his short stint with the Chiefs last year. When he's on the field, his not just snap count, but target rate is fairly high, and you would expect that to go up. But with Kelsey out, or if he does miss this game, I would argue, Mo, and I think Caesars is the one book currently, if you head over to thelines.com, that still has a Chiefs minus 6.5 out there. Just want to see if there's been any degree of yeah so the total's actually been bumped down which is kind of what I would have expected back down to 53 and a half I think you could make the case that if this gets lower than six not that I would I don't think I'm going to be betting this game either way but I would definitely side more often than not with Kansas City under six if the number closes at that and you would expect it to if Kelsey does get ruled out for this game. Yeah, I, I think it'll move. Uh, I think it'll move when they say for sure that he's out because that that's when, like you said, you can get some value, though, because I often see it with injuries where it's like, especially in the NBA, man, you see it in the NBA more than anything. Somebody like Giannis is, like, projected to be out, expected to be out. The line will move, and then when he's announced out, the line still moves. And I think right. that's just, like, a lot of people – just saying, okay, now I'm definitely like betting the Bucks or betting against the Bucks, but it's like, you guys, that was already baked into the number. So after the initial move, you might be getting value on the other side. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good point that especially with injuries, that the market is already taken into account with the new when the news is released. And then when the official announcement comes into play, you're getting the reaction to the reaction, which may be an overreaction in some cases, and like you alluded to, is more often than not an overreaction. So does that mean you could have a play on Kansas City? I mean, I'm definitely excited about the under now. I mean, I, <laughs> I definitely think that this game's going to be even slower. I mean, it's crazy. As good as, as important as Kelsey's been to the Chiefs offense, especially last year, it was wild to see teams just still not be able to put the clamps on him. I mean, he just was such a monster, especially considering how much defensive attention he should have been taking. So, yeah, we'll see what kind of pressure the Lions can put on this offense, especially these lesser receiving weapons. And, and if Kadarius Tony can step up, man. I mean, I love Kadarius Tony. I think he's an incredible talent. But just like he – I every game it's like over under – 25 snaps before he dings something up and has to come out of the game. Yeah, DFS-wise, it's going to be tricky for sure <laughs> with a slate, with a one-game slate like this if you're playing Thursday night DFS and who's going to be your captain. I'm sure they're going to, eh, maybe he's an underrated captain play for DFS. Not that I'm a DFS player. I'm literally just throwing that out there <laughs> on a whim. Mo plays much more DFS than I do. But so we went through four games, including some late breaking Thursday night football news that I definitely wouldn't have had up on my screen if Mo didn't come through there. So thank you very much, Mo. Mo cashing the over on the number of times that he comes through with breaking news on this show. Good start to the season. I like where your head's at. And if you missed our futures podcast last week, you could check that out. It's on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube as well. Mo and I shared all of our futures bets, except for one. Mo, I, I want to give you a, minute or two here before we do wrap things up one bet that we didn't get to bonus play ding 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 on the beat the closing number podcast you we didn't discuss comeback player of the year so do you want to take a, a moment to share that bet with the people yeah just real quick i'll fire off here um 
I like Tua. I like Tua around 20 to 1. I'm not sure if that number's still out there or where the market has moved or if it's moved in the past couple weeks since I bet that. Um, but I think DeMar Hamlin being 75% or whatever it is implied is a bit too much. I know that he has an extremely compelling story that the NFL will very likely pump up because of, hey, player safety, look what we did. We got this guy the help he needed. You know, they were showing him every game they could last year, so I'm definitely, <laughs> we're going to get plenty of media attention there. But I also think very possible he plays a minor, if any, role in Buffalo's defense this year. He was behind two safeties who were basically Ironmen in previous years, and they both got hurt last year. So I think if he plays a pretty minor role and the Dolphins have a good season, which basically means Tua staying upright, I, I think 20 to 1 is way too long. We've seen a clear preference. I wrote this up on thelines.com for we've seen a clear preference for quarterbacks in this market. They have won like 11 of the past 15 or something like that. So I think uh, a good two a season, and he's going to be right there with Demar. So 20 to 1 is just a, a crazy number to me. And, and, and our... I should say, the market is expecting a, a pretty good Dolphin season, right? Like, we're looking at nine and a half win total and, and a reasonable chance uh, to win the division, like plus 300 or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm bullish on Miami and that spread that we may discuss upcoming on Thursday. Very, very interesting. Two and a half, three across the board. I think mainly threes right now. Chargers, a home three-point favorite against the Dolphins. But potentially that game and many, many more on Thursday's edition of Beat the Closing Number. Lone bet for me for week one, box plus six. Mo has, so far I should say, and Mo has more bets coming. He's mentioned some potential ways he may direct his NFL week one betting card throughout the podcast. So if you've been skimming around or skimming towards the end to get the bets, remember to listen throughout the podcast because Mo has some great betting thoughts, including coming through with the Thursday Night Football news that Travis Kelsey could miss the week one opener against the Detroit Lions. But if you want to check out more of our betting content, not just what we do over on Beat the Closing Number, head over to thelines.com. All of our written up articles as well, including my futures breakdowns all in one place. My latest article should be found on the homepage over at thelines.com. And play.thelines.com. If you want to enter our free $5,000, yes, you heard that correctly, $5,000 against the Spread Pick'em Contest throughout the season, $5,000 in total prizes, you could sign up at play.thelines.com. For Moto Warren, for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to the first regular season edition here in 2023 of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. 